Welcome to From Skirts to Scrubs. I'm Alicia. And I'm Charlotte. And we are two medical students trying to figure out our place in medicine by looking to the past and to current events to try and understand the impact they have on us as women in medicine and women in general. Yeah, and welcome back for episode 20. Woo! It's crazy to think that we started with really nothing like a year ago. And yet here we are 20 episodes into the podcast with a couple bonus boys here and there, but I know some cute little bonus boys, but yeah, we're so far. We're killing the podcast game. Well, I hope so. At least like, I think it's been pretty good in my mind. We're acing this. Exactly. Yeah. We're killing it. And like, if you guys think we're killing it too, and you want to leave us feedback, like that's great. You can always leave us a review or hit us up. But this uncertainty, like, are we killing it? Are we not? I don't know. Isn't an uncommon thing for women to feel when thinking about their success. Like, oh, that was a great transition. That oh, thank was a you. good transition. I did not know where that was going. It's but true, though. So right. <laughs> like, we're doing great. And you're like, but are we? Like, are we just biased? <laughs> it's women question their success all the time. Yeah. And especially the women of today's episode where they always feel like they have to question their place in medicine and their place in their profession. They're questioning whether they have the grit, the attitude, or the lifestyle to be a surgeon. But we are here today to say no, sir, to that. No, sir. Because we are going to be talking about the amazing, influential, and groundbreaking women in surgery throughout history and today. So we'll be discussing the history of women as surgeons, some notable women who helped start the field in the modern era and what it's like for a woman to enter the profession today. And hopefully through this discussion, we can squish any doubts about women in surgery and give some praise to some pretty cool people. But before we get to squishing, Alicia, what do you know about women in surgery? Just broadly, anything. Hit me with it all if you want. It all is a stretch, Charlotte. It's a big <laughs> stretch because it all is nothing. You always say that and you're like, but then I know this and this and this and this, (laughs) but I don't know anything. I don't know. Okay. My only guess is that like women maybe did C-sections, but even then is like, that is questionable. We talk about this a lot, but I think it's relevant here is the fact that because medicine was such a male dominated field, Mm. surgery as an art form wasn't really practiced by women. So I don't actually know, but yeah. And then if we're talking about surgery today, I have only a few insights, but it's funny that we're doing this episode because mm-hmm. I've been thinking more about surgery. Like, right. You shadowed in surgery this week. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I'm just, you know, thinking about it a little bit more. So it's very timely that we're having this episode. I wonder if I'll be inspired. Who knows? And I hope you are inspired and not deterred from this. So. <laughs> okay, that's that sounds promising. Uh, let's, yeah. But definitely inspired. I was inspired. But okay, so yeah, I think that you will be surprised actually by the content I have here okay. for you today. Pleasantly surprised. Okay, that's, that's good to hear. That's promising. <laughs> All right, let's get into it then. Let's do it. To begin, I want to clarify some things. Alicia, when you think of a surgeon, how does this relate to your idea of a doctor? Like, are they the same? Are they different? Like when you hear like physician, 
versus surgeon? Oh, that's a good question. Because I think if you asked me that maybe before I started medical school, I would have had a different answer for you. Really? Yeah. Well, okay. So I think before medical school, I would have told you that physicians and surgeons are the same thing in the sense that surgeons are a subset of physicians that perform surgeries. Mm -hmm. But now it's interesting because, you know, as you go through this kind of career path and at the beginning, which is where we were at, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of advice or guidance that I've been given when thinking about, you know, what do I want to go into? How do you decide what's best for you? Mm -hmm. A lot of people have told me, okay, the first question is medicine or surgery, which Mm -hmm. is so interesting because I never, ever thought about it that way. In my mind, I was always like, medicine is surgery, surgery is medicine. But they're talking about the difference between internal medicine and surgery. Yeah. So internal medicine being the care that patients get when we think of a regular physician Mm -hmm. versus surgery, which is the actual performance of a surgery, the preoperative and postoperative care, and then some longitudinal care, which definitely exists. So I think now I'm kind of figuring out what the difference really is between those two. And they're not separate, but there's certainly distinctions. Right. I would agree. And there's definitely like fields that are in between that you have like a lot of like the medicine and the surgery, like OB and urology and things like that. But yeah, for sure. Your answer was exactly what I was looking for. So for like most of history, really surgery and medicine were separate fields completely. Mm. So like you said, like medicine is a field of remedies and like more direct patient care in history. They're the ones making like herbal mixtures to cure a sore or help um, give contraceptives to prevent pregnancy. But Mm -hmm. surgery, on the other hand, was the hands-on fixer-upper field. It was the knives and the cutting. And yeah, just like people going in there to physically fix something, which is very different than just medicine. So though the fields are under the same practice today, like at first they look like they're the same, but they're very separate in the past and truly today too. And this is extremely evident in the Hippocratic Oath, actually, which is the like promise that physicians make at the beginning of their careers to care for patients. In the oath, the original oath, because it's been changed throughout the years and adapted, the OG one says, I will not use the knife, even upon those suffering from stones, but I will leave this to those who are trained in this craft. What? Yeah. <laughs> that was the original Hippocratic no, Oath? No, no, no. No, no, no. The oath is very long. That's one segment of it. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I will not use the knife <laughs> even on those with stones. That's all? That's not the whole <laughs> Hippocratic Oath. It's very long, <laughs> but it's been adapted over time because I like don't know if they mentioned women before. They for sure did not. Yeah. And they would swear on the God Apollo, which obviously every physician does not do. Honestly, we should be swearing by Artemis. I'm here for that. Energy. I love She's Artemis. Cool. Oh, I love her so much. I love I the moon and how it connects to women, as you know. So anyway. But this specific line, the physician's like, I'm going to start my career. And then they're literally saying, I will not use the knife. I will leave that to those who are trained in this craft. So it's making a very clear distinction that there is a physician who is not the professional trained in the craft and there is someone else. So when 
medical school started popping up in the late middle ages, they specifically did not train surgeons. And my question to you was, where were surgeons mm. trained? They were trained. Barber shops. Yes, barber shops. <laughs> they were trained through apprenticeship. Wait, that's so. Wow. I totally forgot about that. But this is igniting a deep, deep memory in my brain from like probably elementary school or middle school where I read this. Oh, wow. Short. Very deep. Yes. I remember, honestly, this may be like one of the first moments I was like, maybe medicine is for me. I read this short story about like a boy as an apprentice in a barber shop. And I thought it was going to be a barber shop for hair. Absolutely (laughs) not. And it was like a Spanish story. It was in English, but it was like in Spain. I remember there was like a, a bull fighter. And he got mauled by the bull and he got brought into the barber shop and then they did surgery on him. Yes. And I was shook. I was shook. My little fifth grade brain could not handle this concept. I was like, why is he going to the barber where he's supposed to be getting his hair cut? He has a huge wound and he's getting fixed in the barber shop. And, And now it's coming full circle. It is full circle because that's exactly how it went for a long time. Yeah. And there was even eventually in 1540, they created the United Company of Barber Surgeons. Whoa. It was like a very legit thing that barbers were surgeons. Surgeons were not physicians. They did not go to medical school. They were barbers. So Mm. what I want you to take away from this like very small little mini lesson on just general surgical history is the idea that the way that medicine surgery have evolved over time is very different. And it's no different Mm. for women who were surgeons and women who are physicians. So Lisha, where do you think our story of women in surgery begins? Ancient Egypt. Yes. You guessed (gasps) it. We are going back to the pyramids as always. (laughs) Yay. So We are alongside the pyramids and the pyramids are also where like some of the first female doctors began as we have talked about many times in the past. And this history is a little messy because women Mm. aren't written about much, especially women in smaller professional roles. So like if surgery wasn't very prominent, then they probably weren't written about as much as like physicians. And it's also very like there isn't clear distinction between physician versus surgeon right. when I'm reading these sources. And also this could be because of things like maybe the author wasn't well versed on like the historically correct way to refer to a physician versus a surgeon. So they can use yeah. like interchangeably. So that can always pop up, be confusing, but based on sources that distinctly said surgeons, there were temples in Thebes that depicted images of slave girls operating on a foot of a woman as her husband watched over. So directly we have a woman operating another woman while a man watches over. There are also writings that speak of women having very good skill with knives for C-sections, removal of breast tumors, and setting bones. There's also Hebrew texts such as the Bible and the Talmud that spoke of Jewish women and described them as fantastic midwives Mm. and surgeons. And even in Christianity, women were said to be fantastic OBs as well, which is a surgery specialty. So 
the little overview of then. But forward, this wasn't always the case in the ancient world. Like that was just a very small tidbit of different civilizations that had female surgeons. But in ancient Greece, actually wasn't the case at first. So an Athenian woman by the name of Agnodice wanted to study surgery. But at the time, women were not permitted to study medicine or surgery. So she was forced to move to Alexandria, where she did study surgery and became a gynecologist. And then upon returning to Greece, and she started practicing in Greece and seeing patients and everything, she was eventually arrested, actually, and put on trial for pretending to be a doctor. Yes. They were like, you are just pretending to be a doctor. You're not actually helping your patients because they couldn't believe she would actually have gone to medical school and learned how to be a surgeon. Yeah. So it was super against the law, of course, to pretend to be a doctor. So that's why she was on trial. But why do they assume that she was pretending? Probably yeah. because she was a woman. So that's not great. And the next series of events, just every time I was reading this story, it popped up like multiple times in like different articles. It just it gives me this very strong image of that scene from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Where Professor Quirrell like runs into the Great Hall. There's a troll in the like, dungeon. <laughs> Trolls in the dungeon. Oh, yeah. Know. And um, that's literally what that is exactly what I think of. And um, there was no trolls in Agnes's dungeon, of course, but her patients did bust down the courtroom door and were like, she's an amazing gynecologist. Like she has been a fantastic Aww. doctor and surgeon to me. Like She's not pretending. Wait, that's so funny. When you say busting down, when you said busting down, I literally thought you were going to say busting down and dance. And they all came in. <laughs> they all came in. <laughs> they were doing that one dance from Camp Rock. Do you remember Camp Rock 2 where they were like, boop, boop. Yeah, yeah they're like, Camp but Rock. But that's how I imagine is they all come in and they're just like, she's innocent. <laughs> it might have been, honestly, who knows? But they saved her butt because after that, women were allowed to practice surgery in Greece from the time moving forward. Cool. Yay. And I was a little shocked when I was first reading this story. I was like, what do you mean women weren't allowed to practice as surgeons in Greece? Because Greek mythology is riddled with myths of women as surgeons. And a couple examples are Leto, the mother of Apollo and Artemis, was actually a surgeon for many births of like other mythical peoples. And she also was said to treat wounds a lot. Also the women of Minoan culture, which were the people of ancient Crete. They were super cool. They would like jump over bulls and build palaces and all that cool stuff. Those women were depicted as removing spears and arrows from soldiers Mm. very often in various art that was found. And even Asclepius, who Mm -hmm. we know as the God of medicine had four daughters I didn't see anything about him having sons, but four daughters who apparently all went on to be doctors and two of them were potentially surgeons. So we have myths that are saying that women are surgeons and yet a culture that didn't allow it until a trial went on. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So as Greece, you know, made strides to progress, they're like, okay, I guess we'll let women be surgeons. The same cannot be said (laughs) for the middle ages, but like are we really surprised? <laughs> no, literally not at all. Everything went downhill in the Middle yes. Ages. My only imagery from the Middle Ages is I see the words Middle Ages, and then I imagine women throwing buckets of liquid stool outside their window. <laughs> like, that's literally all I imagine. Tell me what they did in the Middle Ages. Yeah, so 
we're not surprised. We know exactly how medicine would go in the Middle Ages. But what do you think about surgery? Because remember, I medicine feel like and surgery, surgery is even separate. worse. I, there's no idea of antiseptic. <laughs> Again, remember the liquid stool being tossed out the window. I have no <laughs> faith. And I'm pretty sure the germ theory is so far in the future at this point. So I, I mean, I imagine that they are doing surgeries, but I, I think in my mind, they're very gross surgeries in the sense that people endured traumatic physical events that warranted surgery because they had to. So someone's leg got chopped off by a horse or something. I don't know. (laughs) That doesn't make sense, but something like that. And then they had to get the leg amputated. Like that's the vibe. Oh my God. Probably. Yeah. So because we know that like medicine and surgery are separate, it didn't decline in the exact same way that medicine would have. But like you said, like who knows surgeries actually went well. But of course, as we're going into the ages, we know Christianity is taking over and a male dominated society Mm -hmm. is taking over. So that whole idea of independent women in the ancient world where they could be surgeons was put aside. So as medicine declined, surgery like kind of kept going because it had the barbers and like it was this whole separate field where they got to practice on their own but that wasn't like the same for women because women were no longer viewed by society as being able to like hold a job or something like that because it was now a patriarchy so of course went down 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 for women oh so sadly but women as we know are resilient and they will not be stopped so as we know surgeons had close ties to barbers and this was no different for female surgeons So female surgeons would actually still operate in the Middle Ages and they would participate in wound treatment and bloodletting. So, you know, letting people bleed. But they did this all under the veil of that barber surgeon. But of course, like, even though they're doing it, they're trying to get past the barriers of Christianity in the Middle Ages, trying to work as surgeons. Over time, laws began to creep up one by one, like little monsters out of the dark Mm. to restrict women more and more so in 1313 long time ago a law in paris was passed that required a jury to examine a woman to determine if she was fit to practice which i'm not really sure if that means like they had to watch her perform surgery i feel like that's pretty normal to examine like the surgeon to make sure they could actually do it i don't know if they had to give her a test who knows what they meant by that but of course the intention was that you had to go through a whole process to be allowed to practice now when before you could just, you know, work work for a while and learn how to do it and then practice. And now there's like a whole nother step just for women though. Of course, it's going to step, like push them back behind the men who don't have to do that. But another way that many women practiced their like surgery was through inheriting surgery practice from their father or deceased husband. So that was a law that if your father or husband owned a barber, surgery, place, shop, then you could inherit it and you could be a surgeon. So it was kind of like a side skirt around examining them. And this was truly the only way that women could practice surgery as the time went on, especially in the 14th century, when surgery completely separated from the field of barbers and women were no longer allowed to follow surgery. So like now surgery is starting to depart from being a barber, but women couldn't follow that only surgery path now. But this like idea that you could be a surgeon if you had family ties to a practice basically already was just another way 
to push women out of the profession because now you had to be privileged enough to have a surgeon in your family. Yeah. Otherwise you were out. Like you were out for the count. You could not even get in on the deal. So that was a big issue. And then in 1484, a law was passed saying that only widows could practice. So now even if if your father dies, you can't do it. And then in 1694, which is like 200 years later, widows weren't allowed to practice either. So like they're just, they were slowly and slowly adding more and more laws to push women out of the profession, which like, are we even surprised because they did the exact same thing for midwives and women yeah. reproductive care? Why wouldn't surgery follow the same trend? But there was still one last little inkling, one last little inkling of a way that a woman could practice surgery. And what do you think that would be? I mean, I feel, um, I don't know. <laughs> so it's when women practice in the name of charity work. What the heck? Okay, I was yeah. never going to get so that. So women, that's valid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if women were practicing surgery for the poor and doing it, you know, at low cost or no cost, then they were of no threat to the profession. Right. They were like, oh, they're not competitive because like they're not competing for our business or the people who were going to come to us. Oh, that makes exactly. sense. That sucks. So they were like, oh, it's okay. We'll let them practice there and like they won't come into our profession. But they were ignorant in thinking this because really the women who were courageous enough to take the time to go and serve the poor and do good work were actually helping further the line of women in surgery because they were continuing the ability of a woman to be in surgery, even when Mm. everything was against her to let her do that. She had a chance now. And through that, women were able to practice and develop techniques and just, you know, grow as surgeons. So silly men, come on. Like if you're trying to push someone out, at least be complete about it. Like whatever. All right. So continuing on in the Middle Ages, one surgeon, Louise Bourgeois, or French word, of the 17th century was one of the most noted obese and surgeons in all of France at the time. And her technique and her skill were highly noted across the entire country. So now we're in like 17th century. And additionally, during this time, they would use a text that was actually written by a woman, like a gynecological surgical text written in the 11th century that taught gynecologists at the time, the surgical techniques that women like Louise would use 600 years later. So we have a woman who's the best obedient surgeon in France using a textbook also written by a woman who was a gynecologist Wow, 600 years prior, who is still learning from those methods to develop new methods in the future. So women are already like, they're starting to build the field. They're laying the foundation for the trailblazers ahead of them. And they're inspiring so many women to take their achievements and run with it. So I want to jump into talking about some of these amazing women in the modern era, really, who helped move surgery forward. And of course, I can't mention all of them. I'm sure there are many names of women who worked behind closed doors and we may never know their names or their accomplishments, but these are some amazing doctors that I did want to mention now. Okay. All right, so we have Dr. Mary Harris Thompson, who founded the Women's Hospital Medical College of Chicago in 1892, 
And she was the first woman to perform a major abdominal and pelvic surgery in the U.S. Cool. Very cool. Dr. Mary Walker was the first woman commissioned by the U.S. Army as a surgeon and was given the Congressional Medal of Honor in 1855. In 1917, thanks to Dr. Bertha Van Hoosen, female physicians were allowed to join the war. And what war do you think was going on in 1917, Alicia? World War I. Yes, World War I. They need all the people they can get, especially medical personnel. So now women are allowed to serve as war surgeons. And so Dr. Emily Barner was the first woman ambulance surgeon, and she even testified after serving to the U.S. Congress that there were too many female surgeons being left behind at home. So, like, they're allowed to go to war, but too many of them aren't being selected to go to war. You know what I mean? Like, you can apply to go to war, it's legal, but they're not being actually allowed to go. It's actually a funny story because guess what type of male surgeon the Army was taking, like, in very high numbers? OBs? Yes, literally. (laughs) That makes no sense. Yes, they were taking male OBs. And who were the soldiers in World War I mainly? Dudes. They were men. So why the heckity would you need an OB <laughs> to treat a man? <laughs> an OB is not going to know anything about how to do surgery on a man. Yeah, no. Like, they're going to, like, basic, basic surgical skills. Where are skills, the like, really? What? So, and this is what Dr. Berner said to Congress. She was saying, we have female plastic surgeons who have very good understanding of anatomy who can go to war and actually treat people and you're taking the obese like what are you doing so after this (laughs) wonderful realization that congress had after this testimony females were actually allowed to serve in the war like actually not just saying it that is so funny (laughs) i was like this is the most ridiculous thing ever all right so dr florence f duckering was the first woman admitted to the American College of Surgery in 1913. And this was a, and the American College of Surgery is like a society, right? not like a university. So this, this was a big stride for women in surgery. And why do you think that is Alicia? Because it's good to have people in these large societies, even though some of them are problematic, they still hold Mm -hmm. a lot of power and with power comes the ability to make change. Yes, exactly. So if you're in a society, you are in a position to help you spring forward in the position, in the profession, as you can network with individuals, you can learn new skills before like people outside the field, because you're in a group of people who's all working to in the same position as you. So you can just gain a lot more knowledge from them. So that's huge for women because now they're like in, they're like in with boys club so they can actually learn and make it not a boys club. So that's huge. And remember that okay. for later. So that'll be important. Okay. And the last woman I want to mention before getting into modern women in surgery is Dr. Jenny Robertson. And I love her story. I think it's so cute and inspirational in a way. So Dr. Robertson was the first female surgeon in Canada. She attended medical school in Canada, but there was no Canadian residency that offered surgery for mm-hmm. women. So she ended up coming to the United States and she did surgery here. And then she moved back to Canada where she established the Women's College Hospital and the Federation of Medical Women in Canada. This is the fun part. So 
Dr. Robertson met the love of her life at 20 years old. Wow. Don't know what that's like. That's fine. (laughs) And she graduated medical school at 31 years old. But guess how old she was when she got married to her husband? 90? She was 70 years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So basically at the end of her career, she got married. Um, And she was quoted. That's so funny. She was like, my career matters way more than this garbage. Well, in a way, yes and no. So her, her, she has a direct quote that basically was saying that when she met her husband, she wanted medicine, not marriage. So yes, she was like, I need to do my career and not get married. But also she didn't think it was even possible to have both. Like she never was like, I'm going to be a doctor and get married. Like there was either like, I need to wow, focus on being fascinating. the first surgeon, female surgeon in Canada. And I cannot, like she had already met the love of her life. Like she, like, and she was like, no, I have to wait until, you know, I make these strides. So I think it shows like the great sacrifice that women took to lay the foundation for women going into surgery today. There was one quote, which I didn't write out because it was very long, but a woman surgeon from the 1800s talked about how women in the future will never realize the sacrifices that women made in surgery and even how the smallest, a huge setback that had a, a small benefit to it was so huge for women then because it was something like it was something for them to hold on to and move forward in the profession. So even if they weren't, weren't allowed to practice this, but they could practice with the poor, like that was huge because it actually allowed them to continue in the profession, even if it wasn't like ideal. And I think Dr. Robertson, her story of, she didn't realize she could do both love and medicine. And now women definitely can. So she made a sacrifice for women today. And so did all those women I mentioned before. Yeah. All right. So this leads me into my last segment on women in surgery today. So before we get into it, it's kind of like a lead up to our discussion, but um, I want to make some solid points. So I want to hit you with some statistics. In recent years, medical schools, as we know, are about 50% women, but women make up only a quarter of surgical residents. Interesting. And when you break that down, 5% of orthopedic surgeon residents are women, but 57%. I believe that. Yeah. 57% are OBs. So those are like the two sides of the spectrum. But in general, like the average is 25% of residents are women. And then to add to that, women are 60% more likely to experience burnout resulting in one quarter of women leaving their residency for surgeons. Wow. This is 8% higher than men, which are probably like, oh, only 8% higher than men. But like men are 75% of the class. So having, you know, 52% of them drop out isn't as significant, right? So we have some huge disparities there. And Alicia, I want for you to give me what you think are the reasons that there's such disparities in women going into surgery. Like what are reasons that women don't want to go into surgery? What are reasons that they might leave a program or we are reasons that like just make it hard to be a woman in surgery? That's such an interesting question. Cause 
I was just thinking, because this has been coming up like a lot for me in the last like two weeks. So it's just time. So crazy. So, I mean, work-life balance, starting a family, having to prioritize their partner, Mm -hmm. having to be the one to make sacrifices in a partnership if they're in a partnership. Yeah. So it's a really common issue for women going into medicine who want to have a family. Like it's hard to go into medicine. I want to have a family, but it's especially hard to go into surgery. I want a family because the specialty demands a lot. Like it's definitely possible. Yeah. And there were many women in the articles I was reading that were written by female surgeons who are saying like, I have a family, like I did it. I don't regret anything. Like I, it's great. I love being a surgeon, but it's demanding. And you have to know that. And it's like, demanding physically, mentally, time-wise, all those things. And yeah. one study found that 8% of male surgeons are childless. So really not that many male surgeons. Mm. 40% of female surgeons are childless. Huge, really? huge, huge difference. So there's a lot that needs to change in society and in healthcare to bridge that gap. Like we've mentioned before, you know, you need maternal leave, you need paternal leave, all those things that make it easier for a family, not just a woman, but an entire family to have a family, like a partnership. And some surgical residencies are taking this on. So in a article by the AAMC about like medical school residencies, adding to their programs, opportunities for maternity and paternity leave with the goal of making it easier for women and people and just anyone to have families. And I'm pretty sure U of M was mentioned in that article for trying to make positive strides. So, and there's been like tons of positive feedback from students and like people being excited about those residency programs, doing those things. But I will say that a study was looking at the different factors that deter women from going into surgery and the issue of, do I have time to have a family is actually really low in that study. Cause I feel like if you're going into medicine, you've already accepted the struggle of having a family. And even if you don't go into surgery, it's still going to be a struggle. Like maternal fetal medicine, if you wanted to do that, I mean, it's still surgical specialty, but like you have to do an OB residency and then you got to do MFM. Like that's going to end up being as long as like a general surgery residency in the end. So you kind of accept that's how any specialty is. Okay. Hit me with another one. Um. What are the main categories? Okay. So I'll just tell you the rest. So <laughs> one is um, salary. So salary for oh. women surgery is no different than, you know, any other medical profession um, with boys and girls, but with all factors adjusted for, such as like your job level experience, research, blah, blah, blah. Female surgeons make $32,000 less than their male counterparts and female surgeons and subspecialties make $44,000 less, which comes out to males making 36% more than female surgeons for no reason other than their gender. So that's ridiculous. Another one is academics. So we know that it's hard for women to make a positive trajectory in academia. So there is a downward trajectory of women in academic medicine and in surgery. It looks like this. So 41% of associate professors are women, but so it's like the beginning of your professorship at the end of being a tenured professor, there's only 19% of women as tenured professors. So there's like this huge Mm. drop. And of course, like not everyone moves on to being like the top of the academia, 
but that's still a low number. All right. And then we have just the image, the stereotype of being a surgeon. It's one of the biggest ones, not the biggest factor, Mm. but it is a factor. So stereotypically surgeons are tough. They're independent. They're work oriented. They're strong characteristics that one would traditionally associate with men. So for women who are often described as kind, family-oriented, nurturing, do not exactly fit what it looks like to be a surgeon. But of course, this isn't true at all because there are certain characteristics you need to be a surgeon. Like, yes, for sure, like you need to have these certain ways about yourself to be a surgeon, but do they depend on your sex or gender? Not at all. That doesn't influence you're able to be a surgeon or not. So it's disappointing that even when you are a surgeon, the patients and the doctors still have expectations that result in a lack of respect towards female surgeons. So a study looked at during grand rounds with residents, how many female surgeons were referred to by their preceptor, by like the attending as doctor. So 50% of females were not referred to as doctor during rounds, but 30% of men were not. So 20% gap. So there's this disparity in women looking like a doctor, like looking like a surgeon, which started this movement in 2015 called hashtag I look like a surgeon. So it's like where women post pictures of themselves in scrubs, non-scrubs, whatever, saying like, I'm a surgeon. This is what surgeons look like. In the movement, it ended up being like huge in 2015. It spread to 70 different countries and it highlighted just the diverse set of women who are indeed surgeons, despite the stereotype. So it really highlighted how many people are surgeons. And lastly, this is like the biggest factor that is so important for women going into surgery and is such an issue if you don't have this. And that is mentorship. And as we've discussed before, when there's a disparity within the profession, it's even harder to find a mentor that fits your situation. And in that situation, you need a mentor even more. So like if you're trying to be a female surgeon and you want a female surgeon mentor, but there's less females in surgery and less females as mentors in surgery, like it's going to be even harder to find that mentor. Right. For this reason, many medical schools are starting programs that focus on females and specialties that are male dominated in an effort to help female students find mentors and follow whichever path they wish which actually I think this was the program that Michigan had was helping people yeah. find mentors easier, which is great, honestly. Because, yeah. However, a not good advancement in this area is sadly the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement has deterred some male mentors from mentoring females, which oh. sucks that that's the case because finding a good mentor does not mean they need to be a replication of you. Is it really helpful to have yeah. people who are like you? Of course. But that doesn't mean you need a mentor who is like you. Mentors are great in all genders, shapes, sizes, like whatever. You just need someone who's going to be there for you and help you make strides forward. Yeah. So it's disappointing that a movement that was meant to help women is actually hurting them a little bit um, in terms of mentorship. So with women entering the medical field more and more, it is sad to hear these statistics about the lag of surgery. But like I said in the beginning... Medicine and surgery are very intertwined, but they're also very different fields. Surgery is a whole different beast for women to tackle. Right. And women have done it before. They've tackled the beast. And I have no doubt that we can do it again and make those strides forward. Just like 
that woman back in Greece who proved to the Greek government that women can be surgeons. So I just want to end this segment with a quote from a 15th century author that I think sums up the topic pretty well about what it means to be a surgeon, what the ideal surgeon is. And that is a surgeon with the mind of Asclepius, the eye of an eagle, the heart of a lion, and the hands of a woman. Oh, that's a cool Right? I love it. So with that, I think we can get into talking about women in surgery. Let's do it. are back alicia as always what are your thoughts your thoughty thoughts i hope i didn't deter you from being a surgeon i know at the end there were lots of sad facts but they're important things to talk about if you don't acknowledge them then they're never going to get fixed and i wasn't deterred i wasn't deterred in fact i feel um empowered in a way i'm happy to hear that i think something that i wrote down that i was thinking about was actually when you were talking about the busting down the doors in in mm-hmm. Greece in and, Camp Rock <laughs> in Camp Rock and how it was the women who advocated for this surgeon to mm-hmm. maintain her position and i was just really inspired by that and it was making me think about how resiliency like where does that come from and what motivates women and individuals in general to stay on a path even though it's difficult and there's lots of factors, but I think something that I've heard from many female physicians, female surgeons, is that the work keeps them going and that the patients keep them going. And I thought that this was just a wonderful example of that, about how the patients were keeping this woman, you know, in her job. And she was so right. beloved that it was enough for her to, you know, keep doing this. Um, and similarly to down the line you were talking about like a similar concept it's like the work was so important that it didn't matter that men weren't seeing like men only saw it as charity work yes yeah it didn't matter because the work was still valuable and that's what kept them in the field so that was something that I saw as like a through line which I appreciated I like the idea of your patients advocate for you in the same way that that you advocate for them too and like your patients lift you up and like inspire you to keep going in the profession that's like the whole point or like for us I know a huge part of being a physician is advocating for your patients and helping them live the best life that they can all right great so great thoughts we have great thoughts flowing so let's perfect segue into the next question so through our story did you notice a trend of what types of surgeons women were throughout history And if you did, why do you think that is? And does it like relate to a typical female surgeon today? And if you want to hint, there were two types that I thought really stood out. Two types of surgeons. One is super obvious. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say like the main one that's like super obvious that was like really prominent. You talked about it mostly in like ancient times, but it was like midwives and OBs. Mm -hmm. And I think that characteristic still carries into now, though I will highlight um, a topic that we talked about previously in that there was a lull in history where obstetrics was particularly a male-dominated field. Yes, And yeah, we talked about that a lot in our bonus episode, women's Mm -hmm. work, but I think 
generally like over time, I think childbirth and obstetrics has been a a very female oriented field. And that still is present today when you talked about the percentages of women who are in OB residencies. Yeah, but I for think sure. The other one that I was that kind of comes to mind is trauma surgery, but maybe yes. that's not what it is. But oh, no, yes. Like it. I'll just point on this real quick and I want to hear your opinion on like today, but I really noticed that a lot of opportunities for women to be surgeons was in war situations mm. in where like the art from Crete of women as surgeons was healing like arrow wounds and treating yeah. like soldiers and like World War One allowed like females to be surgeons and just all these opportunities where women were helping men or whoever. I guess I don't know if it was only men, but in, yeah, in trauma, like trauma situations. So, but I don't know how that relates today, honestly. Like, I'm not sure if women do go into like trauma more, but I thought that was super interesting. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm not 100% certain like what the stats look like now for trauma surgeons that are female identifying. But I mean, the fact that I don't really hear about this like large majority of trauma surgeons being women Mm -hmm. makes me think that it's probably not the case. But it's interesting because I don't know if I know that much about the path to becoming a trauma surgeon and maybe if general surgery is involved, I know that general surgery recently, many strides have been made forward to make room for a lot of women, which is really cool. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's not a trend that we're seeing presently, but maybe it will be one. Yeah, for sure. I was looking up like what specialties like women are in for surgery and general surgery is the highest one, not counting like OB and those like more like yeah. subspecialties that don't start a surgery. General surgery is the highest. And then it was like plastic surgery, I think was the next one. But yeah, I'm not sure the trauma statistics. And I thought that was interesting, like that it was almost like women were trauma surgeons because it was like the space available for them. Yeah. There was like a need for surgeons. They were like, shoot, let's get the women in here. Like we need people. We need anyone who can heal people. But it also, I think, really shows women step up when needed. You know, like they were like, they didn't have to go and be drama surgeons when they've been pushed away and like disregarded forever. And yet when needed, they are like, we're here. You know, we're we're still going to do the work. We don't we're not going to be petty about it. We're just going to do it. Um, Which I thought was really interesting that like women were given space to practice when really needed. Or when they're working with other women, which is very typical. Um, Yeah. I thought that was shocking. But I mean, now, yeah, I'm interested to see how like certain surgical specialties increase with women because it's like general surgery is just now becoming more equal gender wise than what's like causing that and what other surgical specialties are doing that or like experiencing that as well. I'm unsure. Yeah, I I know that. Well, and I don't know if this is like universal. So this this is just a certain example. But I know that like recently at Michigan, Justin Dimmick became the head of the surgery department, and he's a minimally invasive general surgeon. But apparently, he is a very inclusive and his department he is curating to be this like really diverse like group of surgeons Mm -hmm. both gender racially ethnically like it's really cool 
Um, and so, you know, shout out to Dr. Dimmick yeah. because I think it's people like him who advocate for and open the door for others to enter spaces that they are not usually yeah, allowed. Yeah, for sure. And like, especially in something like surgery where it's demanding and there's a lot of things like you need people to support you. As we talked about, mentorship is so yeah. important. People who are there for you and always got your back. We've talked about mentorship in the past and how it's so important. And we talked about it in our women's work episode, how having a mentor is just super important. And I want to hear about your experience with mentorship as you think about going into surgery and just the importance of it. Yeah. It's funny because just before this, I had a call with an older student. She's an M4 and she just, I mean, they're graduating now, but she matched into general surgery at University of California in San Francisco, which is like one of the best programs in the country. It's so Mm -hmm. good. And I'm, I don't even know her, but I reached out to her, which maybe is bold of me, but I think she answered advice that I've gotten. (laughs) She did answer. And like some advice that I've gotten from older students and other mentors in the past is just to reach out Mm -hmm. to anyone. And so something I've been doing recently is just asking like older students and people I shadow, I will always ask them for advice, whatever nuggets of advice I can get, I take and I'll write them down and just kind of try to remember them. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what I've been trying to do to find mentors. And they kind of come in the funniest ways. Like one of my like surgery mentors, she was one of my small group discussion leaders. Oh, really? Yeah. The only reason that she's my mentor is because one day I was in a breakout room with like four other people, three other people. And we were supposed to be talking about the case, but we were talking about how difficult our lives felt in that moment. (laughs) Always as it goes. Yeah. I know. We just felt like we were drowning and we couldn't keep up. And she popped into the room and instead of berating us for not talking about the case, we talked basically for the whole time about our concerns. And she was like, oh, you know, we can talk about this more. We can try to figure it out. And not only that, but she set up a recurring meeting every week for us to just pop into Aww. and talk with her. That's so yeah, awesome. She's wonderful. I love her. Yeah. Dr. Laura Mazur, you're the best. Aww. I love you. And she's just a wonderful person. And she is always really responsive. And I know she's so busy. So the fact that she takes time and gives it to us so willingly, I mean, it means a lot. And so I think those are the kind of mentors that they come out of nowhere almost. Like at the time, this was in the fall. I didn't even know I was interested in surgery at that time. So having the surgeon kind of come along and be like, I will hold your hand and walk with you. Like that's great. Mm -hmm. And I just think like small things like that, reaching out to random people that even if you don't know them, people want to mentor you. And as long as you come in, having questions and being curious. Like I think people are really open to that. So it's been overall positive. Do I have questions and concerns going forward? Certainly. Do I know where I want to be? Certainly not. But I think figuring it out is my first goal as we're all trying to figure out what we want to do. I don't know. That's kind of where my head is at now. You you caught me at a funny time. Did. This I really came about this a, a lot. This really came at the ideal time. And yeah, like to reaching out to random people, I have found that people in medicine, once you're in medicine, are so down to help out. I don't know, in undergrad, it just felt so hard to reach out to people. Like they yeah. people just weren't were less receptive, I guess, to yeah. 
mentoring unless like you had a really strong connection with them, like things like that. But I feel like in medical school, like whenever I email a doctor or anyone, they email back so incredibly fast and they're like so excited and so enthusiastic to like answer my questions or work with me and whatever I'm trying to do. It just, it's so much easier than I expected. People really want to help. And I think it also depends on like where you are and you know, like what type of school you're at or whatever. I don't know. I have found that it's much easier if you're interested, like you said, like you have questions and you want to talk to people, like they're willing to talk back and help lift you up. I told Alicia this the other day, but I like had a call with an OB and she was so nice. And she gave me advice on like residency and finding research and just things like that. And at the end, she was like, I'm so excited to meet you again. Like when you are an OB. And I was like, that is so nice. Like just that you have the confidence to say something like that and that you like took time out of your day to call me and just talk to me for 10 minutes. And I just thought I was really kind of her because I don't think an undergrad like professors would do that. They'd be like, come to my office hours. I'll talk to you then. Blah, blah, blah. So people are great. (laughs) They want to mentor you and help you. And I think if you show genuine curiosity and engagement, I have found that that is the most useful. And it makes sense too, right? Mm Because like we have mentored people in the past. Mm -hmm. And when do you feel most attached to your mentees? It's when they're coming to you with genuine interest and they really want to hear your advice and take it. Yeah. And I feel like I always give more to mentees that have that than I do to people who come to me kind of out of the blue, very sporadically asking for things and not taking my advice. And and you don't have to take my advice. I don't know everything, but at least show me that you've considered it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm telling you about my entire experience and whatever, and maybe even getting personal about it. And like, I want to help you so you can like be successful and maybe not do the things I did and things like that. And exactly. um, I'm sure that's how a lot of mentors feel. All right. So The last thing I wanted to mention, which isn't a question, but just a point I want to make that I was thinking about while writing the episode and thinking about in terms of like the podcast as a whole is all these articles we're talking about, like the articles that I read to research. um, One made a point that why do we have to say female surgeons, female doctors, instead of just calling them a doctor or a surgeon? And that like really struck a chord with me because I... Like I, you think about that, like it's annoying to have to be like, you don't, you never really go like, oh, that male surgeon over there. But you do distinctly say people will say like, oh, she's a female surgeon. And I want to get away from saying that in the podcast, but it's also hard because people's yeah, assumptions yeah, right. are that if you say surgeon, it's a male. And they actually did a study on it where some it was like something like like a male surgeon and there is like <gasps> spittles. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. It's crazy. I, <laughs> Do you want me to finish I it? Heard, I was, I was <laughs> going to bring this up, but then you just said it. But this, I also heard for the first time in elementary <laughs> school and I, dude, elementary school is coming back for me, but <laughs> I specifically was totally confused by yes, it. Yes. I was confused. Reading it because my mother is literally a doctor I know. and I like, wait, wait, let oh, me, let no. me finish the story. Okay, so okay, finish it. Yeah. So it's like a male surgeon and his son are in a car accident, sent to separate hospitals. And there's something like the surgeon's fine or something like that, but the son needs surgery. And so he goes in the OR and the surgeon walks in, but the surgeon says, I can't operate. This is my son who is the surgeon or something. And so many people are confused. They're like, well, the, the, his dad's like at a different hospital, but it's his mom. His mom's the surgeon too. 
the statistic really high for people being like, who the heck is this surgeon? Because people just do not consider that the surgeon could be yeah. his mom. People say like stepdad or like yeah. something. And like, it's yeah. the same. Like I literally read it and was like, who the heck is the surgeon? I was like, did the dad drive over like really fast? It's just ingrained in our brains to not even think of the surgeon as a female, which is why you almost have to put female in front of surgeon. But also like, I hate that. <laughs> like, I hate that you have to distinguish yeah. it. That's how it is. So I just wanted to point that out because it was really like bothering me as I was writing the episode. I was like, I don't want to write female then surgeon, but I know I need to. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. And maybe something like all of us can be more aware of in the future. And like maybe us when we talk about things, but I thought that was just interesting. I think that's very important. And I also think taking away gendered names in front of specialties also will help be more inclusive for non-binary Yes, for real. Too. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, if you want to help us on this journey of not saying female in front of everything and just making it acceptable to call everyone what they are without distinguishing their gender, then go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on whatever <laughs> podcasting app is your favorite. And also, if you enjoyed the episode or any other episode, leave us a rating and review. Apple Podcasts is the best place for that. Um, if you're confused on how to do that, check out our Instagram. Um, one of the like save stories explains it in, in one of the podcasts. And one of the like old posts says too. Yeah, absolutely. And while you're on the Instagram, you should follow it. You can also check us out on Facebook. And our website is from scrubs.com where we have all of our information, show notes, sources, merch, discussion questions, mm-hmm. literally everything's on that all website. the things. And as our podcast grows, we're interested in doing more collaborations and making bonus content for you all. So if you or someone you know is interested in working with us, just shoot us an email or an Insta DM. Absolutely. And lastly, as always, here is to the women who fought for us to be where we are today. And may we do the same for those who come after us. Yes. Thank you, all you wonderful surgeons before us who inspire Alicia now today. We love you. (laughs) I'm thinking about you. Uh, All right. See you all next time. Bye, friends.